If you would turn with me uh, to two passages, first to Luke chapter 22, <clears throat> which we've sort of used as, a, as our text to consider and meditate on uh, the, the nature of the Lord's Supper, the ordinance of the Lord's table. So Luke chapter 22, and then we'll turn together after that to 1 Corinthians 11 and the familiar text uh, that we use when we come to the supper most, on most occasions, um, where, where the apostle uh, speaks again of, of the Lord's table. So Luke 22, <clears throat> I have in the bulletin verses 14 through, through 20, but I think that um, we'll pick up immediately in verse 19. And so verse 19, Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. If you turn with me uh, now just over to 1 Corinthians 11. It is much the same uh, here in this text as in Luke 22, as you would as you would figure, as you would assume, uh, with some small, uh, subtle differences. So 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Let us pray and ask the Lord to help us now as we seek to open up the word of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Lord, we pray for a greater measure and influence of your Holy Spirit this evening, that you would grant to us a spirit of illumination as we meditate upon your word. <clears throat> Help us to, rather cause us to hear the voice of our Savior, uh, to uh, think deeply about these words and, and what our Lord is is speaking to us, and help us, Lord, to apply them even as we come, uh, as we come to participate in the Lord's table itself this evening. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> when we come to the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's table, the Lord's supper people often fall prey to one of two extremes. Either, they either emphasize the, the divine side of things to the exclusion of the human side. We, we see this 
especially with respect to, to baptism. Those who hold to infant baptism will, will often say that it does not matter that an infant is unable to exercise faith in Christ because baptism, they say, as a means of grace, is all about, all about what God is doing and saying not what the person being baptized is doing and saying. And so an emphasis on the divine side of things to the exclusion of the human side. Or you could say the flip side of this is when the human side of things is emphasized to the exclusion of the divine side. And we see this among those that, especially that view the, the sacraments, the ordinances as, mere, as merely empty signs and therefore mere outward expressions of our faith and of our obedience. It's all about what we are doing. We are expressing our faith and exercising our obedience. In other words, the issue is often presented as an either-or in and through the sacraments. It is either God who is testifying to his faithfulness toward us or it is we who are testifying to our faith toward God. But I would submit to you that it is not an either-or. And though our focus here is upon the Lord's Supper, I'm not talking about baptism, for instance, so our focus here is upon uh, the Lord's Supper, there is a divine and a human side to both of the sacraments. We could, we could develop this in relation to both of the sacraments as well. <clears throat> perhaps it's best to say that, perhaps it's best to say that the emphasis should ordinarily fall upon the divine side of things, upon what God says and does in and through our proper use of the sacraments but not to the exclusion of what, on our part, constitutes their proper use. So as we narrow this evening our focus to the Lord's table, to the Lord's Supper, I want you to think of it with me this evening. Think of it like a dialogue. Think of our participation in the Supper like a dialogue. The Lord is saying something. The Lord is communicating something by how he sets the table, by what he brings to the table, by who he invites to the table, by the significance that he ascribes to the bread and the wine, and so on. He's communicating something. He is saying something. And we are saying something about ourselves in response to these things as we come to the table, as we participate in the table, there is a communication, there is a communion that takes place between the Lord as host and his people as guests. And it is precisely in this dialogue wherein the Lord has the first and the last word, so to speak. But it is in the context of this dialogue that we commune with him. And it is in the context, in this context, that he communicates his grace to us. 
all of worship, all of worship is to a greater or lesser extent characterized or may be characterized by what we may call a dialogical principle, a principle of dialogue. We find this throughout the scripture. We find a sort of covenantal dialogue or a dialogue that takes place within the context of the covenant relationship between the covenant Lord and the servants of the Lord. And generally, it goes something like this. The Lord speaks, and we are to answer back in faith and in obedience as his humble subjects. Just as in creation, the Lord speaks, and creation answers back in obedience. Let there be, and there is. This is the principle that guides our, our Sunday worship. The Lord speaks to us in and through his word, and we respond in faith, in prayer, with faith, in prayer and in praise to the things that we hear from him. We respond in obedience as his word is applied to our lives. You know the customary examples. Hosea 2 and verse 23 the Lord speaks, I will have mercy on her, her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. Zechariah 13 and verse 9. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. Because he has said to us in the gospel, you are my people. On that basis, we may boldly say, we may confidently say, the Lord is my God. What we say to God, whether in theology or in worship, should always be in response to what he first says to us. What we can say about God depends upon what we hear from God. What we may boldly say depends upon what God himself has said to us in his word. What we confess about God is always measured and judged by what we first hear from God in and through his word. Otherwise, what we say, what we confess, and what we do would not flow from faith. Because faith takes God at his word and responds in a trusting way. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13, here's the principle. We believe and therefore speak. We believe and therefore speak. And so, yes, in order to come to the table properly, we do testify of our faith toward God. But our faith response is just that. It is a response. It is part of a covenant 
conversation, a covenant dialogue in which the Lord himself has the first and the last word. So as we come to um, consider this, our point, our, our main point this evening is this, and I've, I've changed it just a little bit. I did a lot of changing this week. I changed it just a little bit um, from what's in the bulletin. But it is this. Our participation in the Lord's Supper proceeds like a dialogue, wherein the Lord speaks, we respond in faith, and the Lord reciprocally confirms in our hearts the object of our faith. Three points, and I changed the last one from the bulletin. The Lord's invitation, our seal of faith. Thirdly, his seal upon our faith. And so first, the Lord's invitation. <clears throat> of the bread in 1 Corinthians 11... The Lord says, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We see here that the Lord's Supper is instituted with a word, not just signs, not just symbols, but with a word, with a command, with an invitation. He, he prepared the, the table, he prepared this table for his disciples, wherein he offers himself to us, wherein he offers himself to us to be received by us with faith and with thanksgiving. With his words, with his words, he explains the bread, he explains the wine. With his words, he ascribes meaning, he ascribes significance to the bread and to the wine, such that at the table, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ himself is exhibited to us. He is exhibited to us. He exhibits himself to us. And this, this language of him being exhibited, this language has been used within the Reformed tradition to say that, that Christ is not only signified in the supper or signified to us in the supper, but is actually exhibited, set before us, that is, represented or re-presented, not as an offering or a sacrifice to God, not presented to God on our behalf as if presented upon an altar, but as a gift exhibited to his disciples represented, represented to his disciples, to be taken, to be eaten, to be remembered, to be communicated unto us as the sole and sufficient ground of our salvation. At the table, through the signs of bread and wine, the Lord Jesus himself exhibits himself to his disciples. He does this. He represents himself. He represents himself to us as the sole and sufficient ground of our salvation. To be remembered. 
to be remembered not as one who is absent, but as one who is thereby made present to us. Perhaps a, a, a word needs to be said about memory and about the act of remembering. It seems to me that when we stop and we think for a moment about what it means to, to remember something, what comes to mind is something past. We, we tend to remember something that's, that's gone, that something that's no longer present, something presently absent and distant from us in time and in space. And of course that is true. And of course it is true that the Lord Jesus is physically and locally bodily absent from us. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. This is true. But as we said last week, it is not the whole truth. It is true that it is the nature of the memory to store to, to store in our minds, to store a recollection of things so that even though those things are no longer present, they're, they're otherwise absent, they may be recalled, which is, which is the act of remembering. But here's the thing that is easily missed. The act of remembering brings that thing back so as to make that thing present again not materially, but spiritually and immaterially. The act of remembering represents that thing within the mind. So as to call that thing to mind, to call it to mind, to, to recollect or recollect that thing, to make it present again. And so, Christ exhibits himself to us by means of these signs so that he himself might be remembered and received into our heart and our mind as one who is present, not materially, but spiritually, representing himself to us to be taken, to be laid hold of by faith, to, to be eaten. In other words, to be nourished and strengthened by him as the sole and the sufficient ground of our salvation. And so, in the words of institution, the, the words spoken by our Lord and that we repeat at the supper, our Lord speaks. He speaks as one who is present by his spirit. And he commands his disciples with an invitation to receive into our minds and hearts, to lay hold of him and to be nourished by him as one who is present, as one who is communing with us and as one who is communicating himself to us. And so he says, take, eat, remember. This is an invitation to his disciples, a dominical invitation. It's an invitation from the king, but it's an invitation nonetheless, and one that requires a certain sort of response on our part. 
And so secondly, <clears throat> our seal of faith. on this bottle won't come off and I fear I'm going to spill it all over. <clears throat> so our seal of faith. <clears throat> First, let me say something about the word seal. Historically, the Reformed tradition has referred to the sacraments as signs and seals of the new covenant as signs and seals of the new covenant. And, and to speak this way isn't to take away, it's not intended to take away from the fact that the scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit himself as the one who seals the believer for the day of redemption. But it is to say, when we speak of the sacraments also as signs and seals, it is to say that the Holy Spirit also uses these ordained means to set his seal upon our hearts, to set the seal of the gospel upon our hearts. In John, in the gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 33, Jesus says this, he who has received Jesus's testimony has certified, the word is seals or it confirms, has certified that God is true. He who receives Jesus' testimony certifies that God is true. Seals, confirms that God is true. And so a seal, <clears throat> not the animal, but, but a seal like a, like a wax seal on an envelope with the, with the king's you know, um, signet ring or imprint upon the, upon the wax, a seal is that which confirms, it's that which guarantees, it's, it's that which, which strengthens one's assurance of the authenticity or the truthfulness of something. It is a pledge, it is a vow, it is a promise that reinforces the certainty and the truthfulness of a thing. And in the supper... In the supper, the Lord signifies and seals. The, the Lord not only seals and confirms the truth of the gospel to our hearts, as we'll come to, to com comment upon in our third point, but also we must first come to the table taking, eating, and remembering in a manner, in a way that seals and confirms our faith in the Lord, both seals and confirms our faith in the Lord, both to the Lord, but also to one another. John Owen referred to, there's a collection of sermons by John Owen, um, uh, homilies, if you will, short sermons uh, devoted to the Lord's Supper. And in this collection of sermons, Owen um, frequently refers to the sacraments and particularly the Lord's table as a mutual seal. A mutual seal, or we might call it, we might say a dialogical seal. We, for our part, seal or confirm our faith in Christ as he is offered to us in the gospel. 
And God, for his part, seals and confirms his gospel in our hearts. And here, here in this second point, we are considering our part. We're considering our part, our response to his word, to his invitation and his command. The Lord's invitation in the supper calls for us to response. It calls for a response from us, a certain kind of response from us. And and our partaking of the Lord's table, our participation in the Lord's table, it says something. It says something, which is why we must examine ourselves as we come to the table so as not to come in an unworthy manner bringing the Lord's discipline upon ourselves. Our participation says something. By participating, we say something. We we pledge something. We vow something. We set our seal upon and confirm or swear by the truth of something, both inwardly to the Lord as well as outwardly to the Lord's people. So first and foremost, by participating in the Lord's Supper and the Lord's table, we are saying something, we are confessing something to the Lord. We are setting our seal upon and confirming and swearing by the authenticity of our faith in the Lord as he is offered to us in the gospel and exhibited for us at the table. Christ exhibits himself to us as the sole and sufficient ground of our salvation. And as such, he says, take, eat, remember. And by taking and eating, we certify that we personally believe that what Christ has said about himself is true. It is imperative, therefore, that we actually possess faith in Christ. Faith in Christ as the sole and sufficient ground for our salvation and our hope. That we actually possess faith in Christ. Christ. And it is imperative that we exercise that faith as we come to the table. Otherwise, otherwise we say one thing by coming and another thing in our own hearts, hypocritically and carelessly confessing him with our mouths while our hearts are far from him. We must have faith and respond with faith. Verse 29, discerning the Lord's body. Discerning the Lord's body, which I suspect has a double meaning. Its first and primary meaning would be that we discern the meaning of the supper itself, that we discern the presence of Christ at the table, that we discern the Christological significance of the elements themselves, and not come in an irreverent, faithless, and hypocritical, formalistic way. 
We must have faith, and we must respond in faith, taking and eating and remembering in faith, laying hold of Christ in our hearts as he is exhibited for us at the table itself. In the second place, by participating in the supper, we are saying something. We are, we are confessing something. We are pledging and vowing something to one another. And, and this is perhaps the double meaning with respect to discerning the Lord's body. That is the church. Paul rebukes the Corinthians in verse 17, saying, Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. He's talking about them coming together to partake of worship and to partake of the Lord's Supper in particular. And there are divisions among them. There's drunkenness among them. They're not waiting for one another. They're, 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 they're thinking only of themselves, their own private moment, as it were, and, and, uh, and, and drinking to the full, leaving others to the side. There are divisions among them. In chapter 12, <clears throat> he will say, For as the body is one and has many members... But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So emphasizing there that while there are many members, we are members of the body of Christ. The body is one. It is to be united in the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. And in chapter 10, he had already said to them, For we, though many, many members, are one bread, you, you see, he's thinking in terms of the supper already. One bread, one loaf, and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. That one body. And so, as we partake together, we are affirming the body of Christ, the body of Christ with whom and as members of which, we participate together in the body and blood of Christ. And as such, we are not only sealing and not only swearing by our faith in Christ, but we are swearing by and pledging our commitment to one another in the body of Christ. Our commitment to one another as unto the Lord. We are swearing and pledging. We are affirming we are remembering not only the lord jesus but our covenanting together in him we are remembering our covenant vows of having given up ourselves to the lord and to one another as unto the lord we are remembering our obligation to fulfill our duties to one another in the lord and in accordance with the word of the Lord. And so by participating in the supper as one body and as a member of that body, we are remembering, we are reaffirming, 
we are confirming our commitment to one another. We are remembering our membership vows, bringing them to the forefront of our minds and making them present once again. And therefore, we have, we have an invested interest in who partakes and who does not. I think sometimes we think <clears throat> we have to we have to stare down and close our eyes and we're just not supposed to pay attention to anybody else. I'm not saying be a busybody, but I'm just saying that we, we think that we have this private moment. This is a very, very, very private moment. This is a corporate moment. This is a more moment of, of worship as a body, worshiping the head of that one body. We have an invested interest and who it is that is partaking, partaking <clears throat> with us in this ordinance, and who does not. And this is also why we're told that if our brother, elsewhere in scripture, that if our brother has something against us, that we are to be reconciled to our brother first, insofar as it is up to us. We are to examine ourselves, Paul says, and discern the Lord's body. And so it is. We are saying something to the Lord and to one another when we come together at the supper. We are confirming, we are sealing our faith in the Lord and strengthening and affirming our commitment one to another as unto the Lord, as those who are bound together in mutual love and obedience to one Lord. And yet, <clears throat> it is not we who has, has the last and final word. And so thirdly, his seal upon our faith. his seal upon our faith. The Lord invites us to take, eat, and remember him. And assuming that we respond in faith, the Lord uses the same ordinance, this same ordinance to confirm and seal his word to our hearts, to seal the gospel in our hearts. He says, this is my body, which is given for you. Which is, which is broken for you or given to you. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is, Luke says, which is shed for you. In the supper... As we said, the Lord Jesus exhibits himself for us to be received in faith by us so that he might give to us a greater confidence, a greater confidence not in our faith. We do not have faith in our faith. Our confidence is not in our faith. But to give to us a greater confidence not in our faith, but in the sure object of our faith. 
And so he certifies in our hearts, he seals in our hearts that the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is for you. So as to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your assurance, to strengthen your confidence and your hope and your love. And so provided that we come in a manner that come to the table in a manner that confirms our faith and and affirms the truth of the gospel, certifying that we are believing in Jesus Christ for salvation, assuming we come in faith, he likewise uses this ordinance to confirm us in the faith, to confirm us in the faith certifying that the Lord Jesus is indeed a worthy object of our faith, that he is indeed the sole and sufficient ground of our salvation. Edward Reynolds, a certain Puritan, he remarks that a man, by believing, sets his seal to the truth of God's word. And yet, man's seal is but a subscription and confession of that which has already, was already firm. For all God's promises are yea and amen. And faith does not put certainty into the promise of God, but rather puts certainty into the heart of man concerning the promises of God. And so as we respond in faith, as we eat in faith, as we remember the Lord in faith, the Lord also responds by confirming, by sealing, by certifying in our hearts the very sure and certain object which our faith lays hold of, which is the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Faith does not make the promises of God any more certain than they already are. They are the promises of God. But as we respond in faith, the Lord confirms the promises of the gospel to us, for us. He, you could say, he he presses down upon our hearts, sort of like a, a signet ring that's pressed against the wax. He impresses upon us the infallible certainty that is ours in Christ. For instance, when he says, this is my body broken for you, or this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you, he is using covenantal language now, it, it's, it's not always uh, translated this way, but the scripture speaks in the Old Testament in particular of when it, when it speaks of the making of a covenant. It speaks of the making of a covenant in terms of cutting a covenant. Cutting a covenant, because as the book of Hebrews reminds us, covenants are made over dead bodies, literally, Hebrews 9. Covenants are always made by means of a sacrifice, by means of the shedding of blood, ordinarily an an animal sacrifice that is cut in parts, cut in two, 
And so it is the, the cutting of a covenant. The broken body, over broken bodies. Jesus is reminding us that the new covenant, the new covenant was cut, it was made, it was ratified by means of his broken body. His sacrifice for us upon the cross. For him in our place. And again, this statement, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Again, it's covenantal language. It's taken from the Old Testament, which refers to the sacrificial blood by means of which a covenant is made. Jesus is again saying that the new covenant, the new covenant and all of the blessings that are ours under the new covenant, the whole of our forgiveness of sins and of our salvation and our hope of glory hereafter, all of it has been secured for us by his blood, which was shed for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. So as we come to the table, we have this reassurance, this assurance, this reminder, this certificate, this confirmation from the Lord that the Lord Jesus is, is a worthy object of our faith. Indeed, he is the alone object. He is the sole and sufficient ground for our salvation. And so as we come to the table, think of your participation like a dialogue. Wherein the Lord speaks, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. Wherein we respond in faith. And the Lord reciprocally confirms his word in our hearts. Confirms unto our faith. Confirms us in the faith. That the Lord Jesus is a sure and certain and worthy object of our faith. Listen to what he's saying as we come to the table. Listen to what he's saying and let him have the last word. Let him impress upon your heart and upon your mind the very worthy object of your faith. The Lord Jesus himself as the sole and sufficient ground of your salvation and therefore the infallible certainty that is yours in Christ. May your faith be stirred up. May it be exercised. May it be strengthened. May the Lord grant to you a greater measure of confidence in the Lord, assurance of your salvation in the Lord, for his body was broken for, for you, and his blood was shed for you. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Our Father, as we, as we try to make application of this message, of this sermon, of this contemplation, meditation, 
Um, even now as we come to the table, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to lay aside all of the thoughts, the wandering thoughts that <clears throat> often um, drag us away from uh, the things that we, of, of setting our mind on those things which are above. Help us to be fixed in mind and heart upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear the voice of our Savior speaking to us. Help us to sense even in these things the Lord's presence among us and with us and even within us. Um, bring him to mind. Bring him near to our hearts. And strengthen our faith. Encourage us in the faith. Give to us a, a, a renewed um, zeal and desire for, for obedience as unto the Lord. We ask these things for his sake. Amen.